Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, True Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put our area code, which is 225, in front of that 291-6901. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And we sure wish you would. We always love hearing from folks in Baton Rouge and all over the country, or all over the world, for that matter. That's a fact. <laughs> you go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901. Put you right straight up to the top of the list. Got all our lines wide open, just rip-roaring and ready. That's right. And should you happen to miss us today live on the air or think of something after we go off the air today, mm-hmm. or maybe even next week at midnight, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. Couldn't be much easier than that. That's right. Couldn't be easy unless I come over there and do it for you. And I'm no, not, I don't I'm see that happening. Not, I just don't see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get an answer back normally within 24 hours. Well, always within 24 hours, and normally a lot faster. During the week, I'm generally sitting at my computer, and I check email several times a day. Right. Now, on weekends, not quite so much. I generally check it first thing in the morning, check it in the afternoon before I go to bed. But right. Twice a day. Twice a day. Right. You'll definitely get an answer back right straight forward. And we're going to our phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hey, how you doing this morning? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I had a question about oil. I was talking with a representative or a salesman with Royal Purple, mm-hmm. and I know this can somewhat be opinionated, but his opinion was that Royal Purple was a couple grade level above, let's say, Mobile One Synthetic. My question to him was, was it worth spending extra money to put that in your car? Yeah. What's your general opinion of what kind of oil, what's what's worth, what's not worth spending money on? Chris, you got to watch because the word synthetic actually does not have a meaning in the United States. In Europe, it does, but in the United States, it doesn't. A lot of people think synthetic means man-made all. It does not. Synthetic is merely a marketing term that means it meets certain criteria. Now, that was Mobile One actually took Castrol to court many years ago because at that time, Mobile One was a PAO ethyl uh, ester blend, which we would consider a normal synthetic. And Mobile, excuse me, and then the Castrol was just a hydrocrack group four base stock regular all. And Mobile One said, no, wait, that's not synthetic. And the judge found that, not that I agree with it, but to say you're synthetic means you meet certain standards. It doesn't mean what the oil is made of. So you got to watch. It's just a very ambiguous term. Some synthetics on the market are not synthetic oil at all, in my opinion. They're just Group 4 base stock, regular crude oil that's been hydrocracked. Other synthetics are blends of PAOs or esters or what have you. Now, all of that being said, that just gives you a little bit of background. Mobile One is a premium oil. It is a true synthetic, in my opinion. Royal Purple is as well. Amzol is as well. The premiums, I have not seen a dime worth of difference in. The only difference would be availability. Availability. Mobile is One thing. is available everywhere. That's right. Because you could buy it at a Walmart, you can buy it at a parts store. Right. So if you start using one type of oil, it's not good to change to another. My only, I guess, rub with Royal Purple and Amazon knows is that they don't have as wide a distribution network. So if you happen to run out and you got to add something, now you're forced to either go without oil or go somewhere and wait to get it. So that's my reason that I like Mobile One. Mobile One is our house all. But as far as saying Mobile One is better than Amazon or better than Royal Purple, no, I wouldn't no. say that. I'd say they're equivalent. In my opinion, all of the premium 
synthetics, and that's three of them. There are probably others as well, but any of those are going to be roughly equivalent. Just look at the specifications on them, and that'll tell the tale. But what is your reasoning for not wanting to switch oils? Well, when you build an oil, it's not a thing, and there's oil is not one thing. It's a cocktail of things. And there are anti-foam agents, there are anti-corrosion agents, there are viscosity improvers, and on and on and on and on and on and on. Those are not all compatible one with another. They're kind of unique to each product. Each product has its own little cocktail of stuff. What can happen, I've seen, where if you change the brand of oil using, let's say you're using Pennzoil, which is a good product, and then you switch to ExxonMobil, the engine may start using oil. And I've had that actually happen to me. It's just they're not compatible one with another. It is better to go with one oil and stay with it for the life of the car. Don't change it. All right. Thank you all. Uh-huh. Thanks, All man. right, sir. Bye-bye. No. All right. 291-6901 is the number. You want to be part of that automotive fire? Blah, 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 blah. Well, I tell you, I just, I'm kind, telling you. Tangled tongue here this morning. <laughs> huh? Let's go back to our phone lines with Sue. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Good yes, morning. Ma'am. I'd like to know about the ABS system on a car. Okay. If the light flashes on your car, is it something you need to get fixed? What is it exactly? Well, what anti-lock braking system is, ABS is anti-lock braking system, it's an electrical system that monitors the regular brakes. It's not the brakes themselves. Right, it's actually an add-on system. It's an added-on system that monitors the brakes. What it does, there's a sensor in either all of the wheels or at least Three of, three of the wheels, if it's a four-channel or three-channel, it watches the speed of the wheel. And when it notices one wheel slowing down excessively, like, for instance, we got three wheels traveling 40 miles an hour and one wheel traveling 10 miles an hour, we know that that wheel is locked up because it couldn't go slower than the other three otherwise. So what the ABS system does, it blocks the fluid pressure going to that wheel, releases the pressure until the wheel speeds to the normal speed of the other wheels, and then it releases and goes back to watching again. Now, what it does, it doesn't make you stop faster. It doesn't make you stop better. It helps you to maintain control of the car because if a wheel or wheels are locked up, you may lose your steering control. There's a sliding wheel is not going to steer as well. So even though it says braking system, it's really more of a steering type aid. Now, to answer your question, do you have to fix it? No, you don't. If you don't, it means you're not going to have any lock brake function. You're still going to have regular brakes. It just means it's going to be like the cars were 20 years ago before they ever had any lock brakes. You know, we drove around for 75 years without it, so I certainly wouldn't say you can't drive without it now. It's still relatively safe then because they want to charge like $1,500. It can be very expensive depending on what fails. Now, you might just get a second opinion because I notice sometimes they'll maybe not want to do a full diagnostic check and they kind of look at it and say, well, it's this. And they'll shotgun you and give you the price on a whole replacement. Sometimes it's a part of that, and you can fix it for less, but not always. I know I had a lady come in the shop, and she had been to the Cadillac dealer, and they told her she needed a complete unit, which was $2,400. And I tossed, well, she wanted me to give her a price on changing the unit. I said, well, I can't give you a price on changing the unit, but I can diagnose the problem. She said, well, I don't want to spend. I already had it checked. I said, well, that's all I can do is check it and tell you. So she leaves, and her husband tells her, look, bring the car back. She brings it back. We check it. It takes me about an hour to diagnose it, but come to find out it's a relay. So Mm -hmm. she spent $90 paying me to check it, but the actual repair was a $20 repair. So I could theoretically have checked it and told her the same thing, in which case she'd probably been angry. But, you know, that's just you have to check it. You can't assume that whoever checked it last did a proper job of checking it because there are intermediate 
things that can go wrong. For instance, a wheel speed sensor is relatively inexpensive, and those go bad a lot. It could be a wire, it could be a relay, or it could be the whole big unit, which is probably 1500 So it just depends on how confident you are and who checked it. But to answer your question, it does not have to be repaired unless you care to. Okay. Thank all, you. All right. Thank you, Sue. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. And we're going back to our phone line with Harold. Good morning, Harold. Hey, thank you for taking my call. You bet. I have a Dodge, a 2014 Dodge, a Ram 1500 with the Hemi in it. Okay. And it's pretty much brand new. I bought it, and the dealer said the first all change is free, so I brought, bought it to the back to the dealership, got mm-hmm. the first all change. And in the morning, I started hearing the valves tap right when you first started up. Hmm. So I ran just for like a few seconds. Uh-huh. And then and then once it warmed, you know, about three or four seconds, then mm-hmm. it, it stops tapping. It just does it early in the morning. And then so I changed it all out myself, and I put Mobile One in it yes, with, the, with the right filter and everything in it. Seem like it doesn't do it as much, but if I let it sit two days in a row or something like that, you know, out here for a few seconds, I just want to know if that was normal or if it very well could be. Harold, a lot of the newer engines are overhead cam engines as opposed to overhead valve engines that we used to have. And what happens with an overhead cam is you have two big long timing chains with tensioners on them. And a tensioner is a hydraulic device that has to apply to take the slack out of the chain. And then there's also variable cam timing and all kinds of gadgets and gizmos on them that can rattle and make noise until the oil pressure hits. It is going to take a few seconds for that oil to get up to the top of the engine. Now, what makes that much better is if that engine probably calls for 0W20 motor oil. Yes. Is that correct? The 0W20, a lot of people, oh, that's too thin. Absolutely not. It's not too thin. It's zero weight when it's cold, which means it can get to the top of the engine much faster. People like putting 5W20 or 5W30, and that will make that problem much worse. So I you think wanna, it is. I think it is 5W, I mean, 5W20. It I'm may call, be. whatever it calls for, be sure you put what it calls yeah. for. Second thing is that all filters have a drain back valve in them, so you want to be sure you use the original Chrysler filter that's got the proper drain back valve. If they mistakenly put the wrong filter, because Chrysler's got a couple different filters that will fit, you may not keep all on the engine long enough. The third thing, of course, like you did, the synthetic all is going to have a better film. It's going to leave a better film on all those parts rather than draining down and becoming totally dry. So I think you did the best thing. I believe if it was my new truck, you're still under warranty, I would at least take it back, have them listen to it, get it on record that you complained about it while it was under warranty. Because if it does go out and you're close to the end of warranty, you want some type of a history, hey, I was complaining about this when it was under warranty. Because it's also possible that something may be a little out of spec, just they didn't get this one just right. And it's not likely going to ever get better as you go along. A lot of new engines, we do hear all kinds of rattles and noise out of them. They're just not building like they used to. Yeah, when I searched it on the Internet, it's called a famous Emmy cap. <laughs> so, yeah, they already got a name for it. They already right? got a name for it. Well, if, if they've coined a name for it, <laughs> yeah. that means it's pretty darn common. You know? Yeah. Well, okay. All righty. Thank you. All right, Harold. All Thanks, right, man. Bye-bye. 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 All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're part of the automotive fire, we'd certainly love to have you. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. 
Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. This is Jordan's the Automotive Hour. Host Lewis Alzan with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we're going right straight back to our phone lines with Dale. Good morning, Dale. Hey, how you doing, man? Doing great. Good morning. Uh, I have a problem. I have an 04 Jeep Cherokee Limited. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting water on the floorboard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, my, and the AC system is, I, I had to call like two months. Mm-hmm. And the AC is blowing, but it's not blowing hard as I think. I just wanted to know if you kind of. Yeah, probably two vehicle. different problems there, Dale. And both of those are pretty common on that vehicle. Normally, one of two things when you're dripping on the floor. There is a drain on the outside because what air conditioning does it removes humidity from the air which makes it more comfortable the humidity is water so it drips into the case and it runs outside it drips under the car which is fine uh-huh. if you get any type of dust buildup or anything like that it can actually partially plug that little drain up and when it does the water starts to back up it can overflow the tray and drip inside the car uh-huh. that, that's one thing now that's real easy fix because you go in and just blow that drain out and you know all the water will come gushing out and you, you're good the second thing is they had a lot of trouble where that case is sealed to the firewall. If there's any void in that seal, it can leak between the case and the firewall, and that's a much, much bigger repair. You have to actually pull the whole dash out to get to that. So uh-huh. first off, try to clean it, and if that doesn't work, then you can have to go to plan B. You can actually look at that water or whatever it is that's dripping inside the vehicle, and if it smells like antifreeze, then the heat, of course, probably leaking. Yeah, you could also so, have that. So you got three op- three things there that could be going on. So you need to figure out which one it is. If it's antifreeze, you'd be losing coolant. Right. Then you're going to be looking at a cooling issue, you know, a heater core leaking, a hose leaking, something like that inside the vehicle. Another thing, too, is if the water on the floor feels sticky or feels uh-huh. hot, then that's yeah. more likely coolant. If it feels cool or cold and it, it evaporates yeah, really it, easy, it's clean like right. water, then it's more likely the AC dripping. Right. Okay. Now, right. now, on your blow issue where it's not blowing as hard, Chrysler products have had an inordinate number of trouble. Well, everybody has a lot of trouble, but particularly Chrysler products, with the actuators and the doors under the dash. Sometimes okay. the actuator will quit functioning. Sometimes a little plastic link that hooks the actuator to the door will break, and sometimes the door will break. And when it does, it doesn't swing that door open completely so the air can't run through quite as fast. That was a pretty uh-huh. common issue, too, and a fairly big deal to fix because you have to pull a lot of the dash out to get to those. Okay. All righty. All right, man. Thank you. Hey, Appreciate thanks your Thanks for calling, All man. Right, mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? 
And that is a fairly common issue that started, I don't know, what, 10, 12 yeah. years ago when it yeah, started about. going to those electronic actuators. Yeah, they had vacuum actuators before then. At and one time. And they before worked that, pretty had well. A cable. And the cables really worked great. I yeah. mean, car was 20, 30 years old, still had the original well, set of cables on cable it. Cable costs $4 and less the life of the car. <laughs> now we've got an actuator that costs $300. got to take dash out, change, and they go out constantly. Exactly. That's, that's a move, uh, yeah, move forward. <laughs> And even the electrical actuators on the manual air systems. Mm-hmm. For instance, my truck, I got an 02 model Chevy pickup. It has okay. electric actuators, but it's a manual control. Right. You're working a switch, which those, those give very little, if any, problem. It's more the electronic ones on the electronic temperature control that give the trouble, particularly on GM. Right. And it's not the electronic temperature control that's causing the problem. It's the it's actuator. The actuator so I don't know itself. if they use a different actuator. I guess more complex part. I'm not sure. You have the ones that have that regulate the temperature. Mm-hmm. You can set the temperature, temperature and it'll, keep, it'll, side, dual it'll keep that temperature in the vehicle instead of blowing max cold or max hot. Right. Those tend to move around a lot more because mm-hmm. they're constantly trying to vary the, the temperature to keep it at a maintained level. Right. And they tend to move more. So moving more equals worn out parts. Possibly you know? so. I know the left side temperature actuator is the one that fails the most. We it probably is. see three to one, that one on all the others. And some of those are relatively easy to get to. And That some, particular one is easy. Some of them you have to take the dash out to yeah. get to. The left one is not bad. The right one is, I guess, it's, about it's, an hour and a half, but not too, it's too workable. bad. The fresh air research is the one that's the real bear. Right. Uh, it's, that's it's one actually, dash has to come out. It's buried against the and firewall. And the mode, which is defrost, heat, and uh-huh. all that sort of thing, it's a little bit difficult. But right. uh, the one that's the easiest is the left temperature actuator, which ironically Tends is also to go the one that goes most. out the most. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I guess that's a good break. I guess. Hey, we got Phil. Good morning, Phil. Morning. I'm looking at buying a, a pickup truck, okay. and I was just curious. I'm looking at Chevy or GMC. What's the difference other than the looks? I, Absolutely none. I, the GMC tends to cost a little more. It has a few more options, but I think you can actually get all them options on a Chevrolet right. also. Identical truck, same yeah, part, same same, car, same engine, same drive line. Many, many, many years ago, GMC was a heavier-duty truck. Right. And, but that's been, man, that was probably back in the 50s. GMC was a unique truck. Now it is an identical product, identical chassis, identical running gear. It may come equipped with a different option package, but like Brian said, you can see all of those options on the Chevrolet if you want. So there's virtually no difference. Tailgate. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, an emblem yeah. in the grill, you know. Yeah, the grill emblem and tailgate. Right. Yeah, I was just wondering. I didn't uh-huh. know. I appreciate your help there. All right, Phil. Not a problem. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we're both sitting here waiting yeah, both, both took a breath. We're ready to say something there. You know? Yeah, the actuators are one of those things that some folks are not really used to them because they're still used to the older systems that had cables or vacuum actuators. Uh-huh. The only problem we used to see with the vacuum actuators, sometimes the vacuum line would break or the vacuum reservoir would go bad. That, that was more common. The, yeah, the reservoir would go bad. and You'd accelerate you, up the bridge and it would go to defrost. Right. It would quit blowing out the dash. That was a dead giveaway that the vacuum was gone. Right. And sometimes it had a little vacuum hose leaking. Sometimes a little canister was leaking. Sometimes a check valve was bad. But it was generally a fairly easy fix. Sure. I had a... GMC truck in the shop this week, and the actuators are $258 each wow. for three of them. One of them is less expensive. One of them was about $125. But you could spend, by the time you pay the labor to pull the dash out and buy those four actuators, you sure. could spend a big old chunk of change. And it's really recommended to go ahead and change the actuator since you got the dash out, even if it's not bad now. 
because it will be bad shortly, and then you're yeah. back in there tearing the dash out again. Well, if you're going to go to the extent of changing the more difficult one, which has to pull the entire dash, then you might want to consider changing, changing them all. the other three while right. you're there. And then again, if your money's tight, you just got to do what you got to do. But right. you got to know that you may be coming back replacing the others. For all this labor again. Right, when they decide to fail. We're going back to our phone lines. Robbie, good morning, Robbie. Hey, Robbie, you there? I think we lost Robbie. I'm sorry, Robbie. If you get back on there, we'll try to get back to you. Yeah, we talked about that just a bit a couple of weeks ago in collateral repairs, Uh things you Uh might do while you're doing another repair because it is less expensive. Right. And that would certainly be another one we could add to that list. Also, I know when we change, like, the evaporator cores on Chrysler products are pretty bad about the evaporator cores going out. Yep. While you're in there and you got the entire dash out of the vehicle, you might want to consider changing the heater core. Sure, because you got it in your hand. They go out a fair amount as well, and you're right there, so there's no additional labor. It's just the additional price for the part. That's right, while you're in. So let's go back to our phone line with John. Good morning, John. Hi, it's John calling from Toronto. Hey, John, how are you this morning, man? Good. I got a new headset, so hopefully it's better than last time. I got. Good deal. There you go. <laughs> question when you're talking about the oil and i've been on my two hondas i use the oil that's from honda i have it set up at the theater and i you know what i do for the transmission and the antifreeze yes. and what have you. Mm-hmm. but i wondered what you thought that compared to say mobile one because that's what's in the cars have been using just the, the honda oil yeah that's fine honda doesn't actually make that oil john what they do Honda sends a specification to a local refinery who makes the oil and just puts the honda label on it so it might be made in a British Petroleum refinery. It might be made in an Exxon refinery. Just whomever is near to you, because all is heavy, they're not going to make it in Japan and ship it to the United States. For instance, in Baton Rouge, we have an Exxon refinery here that's huge. They produce a lot of the mobile and Toyota oil. Now, that being said, it is made to their specifications. They send a spec in, and be it Exxon Mobil or whomever at the refinery produces it for them. Same thing with their antifreeze, same thing with the power steering fluid, same thing with the transmission fluid. It's produced locally, but it's done to their specification. So it is a unique Honda product. It's fine. It will certainly meet all of the criteria. It might even be your safest bet because if you had a, any type of a warranty issue, you always got your receipt where you use their all, and that's certainly supposed to meet their specifications. But like I said, that is the case in many, many things where – even gasoline, if you buy, say, ExxonMobil gasoline in a certain area where there's no ExxonMobil refinery, Exxon may send their specifications over to a BP refinery, whoever's local, and they may produce the fuel for them and, and brand it as Exxon gas. And it is Exxon fuel, which is made by British Petroleum for them or whomever. Same thing in this area. The ExxonMobil refinery is the big gun in this area, so they may produce two or three other brands. But it's all made to the specifications of the person who ordered the oil or gas. Right. Well, that's good. Quick one, just to tell you that I had a friend that had a brake job this week, uh-huh. and they had a Honda van. They spent like six, $700 at some third-rate place. They live way out the, outside the big city. Mm-hmm. And the long and the short was it after a year, the brake trucks were breaking and oh, or were falling apart and cooking. And so she ended up with a, probably another... $800 brake job this year. And I told her, I said, tell them to, like Lewis tells me, make sure you give them the serial number. Don't tell them what kind of car. That's make right. sure you get the right brakes. <laughs> That's right. You know, sometimes the cheapest way out is the more expensive way in. That's it. <laughs> I, I wish that, I just wish that 
somebody like you, well, actually you, but you haven't opened your rancher yet. Anyway. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice and, and maybe it'll work. Yeah. <laughs> maybe three months out of the year. There you go. All right, John. Well, appreciate you calling. Plan. You, can get a, you can get a nice condo right by the, by the um, baseball stadium. There you, there you go. go. All right, John. Thanks, <laughs> man. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more of No More Power. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Louis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Louis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. I've noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it because the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't hey, welcome back. You're joining us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvin, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Train Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we've got Robbie online. Good morning, Robbie. Hello. Good yes, morning. Sir. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. We go got ahead. you. I got an old 3 F-150 Larry. Okay. AC only blows out the defroster. Mm-hmm. It won't blow out the vents, the floor. It only comes out the defroster. I would have to look that one up, Robbie, but most likely you've got sort of a hybrid system in that and where vacuum is operating the mode portion of it. It's electronic, but it may have a vacuum-operated mode door. If that is the case, then the most likely thing is going to be a broken vacuum line or a bad check valve, which is a fairly easy fix. Now, if it is a full electronic system, the most likely thing is going to be either the actuator itself has failed or the door is broken, which is a much, much, much bigger fix. you got to take a good deal of the dash out. I'd have to check service data because right around 02 or 03 is when Ford started swapping all that over from the vacuum system to the uh, electronic fully system. electronic system, and I just don't know off the top of my head. So you might just look. You know what those little tiny eighth-inch hard plastic vacuum lines look like? Yeah. Okay, and they usually a bright color of some sort. They'll be red or they'll be yellow or something like that. Maybe even black. Maybe I mean. black. But look under the hood and see if you see some of those going through the firewall over on the right-hand side. If so, then that's probably good news. That means it's going to be a vacuum system. Now, if that's the case, it's going to be tough for you to find it yourself. You might just listen real carefully and see if you hear a hissing noise, you have a vacuum leak, see if a line is broken. I think those route underneath the battery, and a lot of times what will happen, the old battery will start leaking at some point. The acid would run down and eat them up. So look underneath the battery good if, if it has vacuum lines. There's also usually a vacuum canister, but I believe on Ford that might be up inside the evaporator case. So sometimes if it is a vacuum system and something happens inside the case, we can actually bypass it and route another vacuum line and get them working for a lot less money. So it just depends on which system you got. If it's a vacuum system, it's going to be less expensive. If it's full electronic, it's going to probably be more expensive. Now, those vacuum lines, if it has them, they are going to be very brittle about this time. Mm -hmm. Those vacuum lines are years old. Right. 
So they're going to be very brittle. So don't get rough with them. Just try to look at them. Don't try to pick them up and move them. Just take a look at them. Right. Because if you pick them up and you start moving them around, they're going to start breaking. Break. And they're going to break in a spot maybe you can't get to or something like that. Sometimes what we can do is get a piece of eighth-inch vacuum hose and And go from the source and stick them back and splice them back together when they break so you don't have to end up replacing the whole line. Okay. All righty. Oh, I appreciate it. All right, sir. Not Thank a problem. You. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you are part of the Baltimore Fire, we'd absolutely love to have you. That was a fairly common thing I forgot to mention earlier is that when those lines get old, and 03 doesn't sound that old. It doesn't, but it Yeah, when they get to that age, those lines get brittle. And if anyone's under there messing around, let's say they change a valve cover gasket or sure. whatever type work is done on the hood, maybe just an oil change. They may bump one of those lines and break it. And when they break that line, something's going to quit working. Sure. And the most common failure is going to be it's going to go to defrost because defrost is a default. Right. It's a safety It's default. a safety issue because you've got to have defrost and you don't have to have pan layer. Correct. So there's generally a spring on the door. And when the vacuum comes on board, it pulls it to the dash. But if the vacuum ceases to operate, for whatever reason, the spring is going to pull it back to defrost, which is the default, which, like I said, is a safety type thing. Correct. At least you can still defrost your windshield. And see where you're and going. And you will get a certain amount of air into the truck, although on a 100-degree day with 100% humidity, right. it's not going to feel hot, like you got a Hitting a hot windshield and <laughs> yeah. warming up before it actually gets to you. Pretty much just burning that right on away. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why don't you give us a call? 291-6901 is the number. Before the show came on you and i as most weeks we're sitting here saying hey what we're gonna talk about Uh (laughs) and one thing that we have not talked about in a while and i thought we maybe just kind of peruse around the subject and certainly we'll take a call on any topic you got but and that is the topic of frame damage to a car Uh frame and i guess more to the point chassis damage because cars today generally do not have frames per se they don't have individual frames from the body it's all kind of one piece now it's what they call a unibody Mm -hmm. and we talk about frame damage most people think oh a car got in an accident something's bent something doesn't fit right that's not necessarily the case here Mm -hmm. since it is a unibody component now Mm -hmm. all the suspension actually hooks to the unibody points so let's say you're driving down a road and you didn't see that big pothole you hit it with that right front wheel and now all of a sudden the car is pulling to one side that's right that is considered frame damage. Even though you might not think about it because it didn't come from a wreck or anything like that, to the car it was an impact and it did bend something. Correct. So it is a chassis-type related failure, so it would be addressed as frame repair. And we're going back to our phone lines with Curtis. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Morning. I got an 01 Yukon XL with about 387,000 miles wow. on Good it. for you. There you go. I'm glad to hear that. And my wife was in it the other day, actually yesterday, she was stopped talking to somebody outside, had the air conditioning on, and she noticed the temperature gauge started to creep up over mm-hmm. 210. Yeah. I've noticed, you know, maybe once a month or so, the low coolant light will come on, I'll have to add a little bit of coolant to it. All right. But if you can believe it, the radiator that's on the truck is still the original radiator. Wow, wow. Yeah, you've done good. Yeah, you've done very good. Mm-hmm. So are, are there just some hairline leaks that are happening when it gets under pressure? It also has to leak it out. It could be. Curtis, and of course, there's. I can tell you the most common leak points on that engine. You got a 5.7 in that one? 
It's a 5.3, but 5. I'm not 3. noticing anything, you know, when right. you back out or, or right. stop right. anywhere. The most common leaks on the 5.3, number one, by fairly wide margin on the water pump gaskets. The gaskets on the water pump will start to leak, and what happens is that the coolant will run down onto the engine, and because the engine's hot and the fan's blowing out against it, it blows back on the engine and evaporates, so it never hits the ground. That's okay. the most common leak that we find on that one. Now, another couple of leaks that we see on that body style one is there's some plastic tees where the rear heat nozzle hooks in. Those plastic tees will also start to leak, and they may or may not hit the ground because, again, they drip down on the fender well, and the air and the heat of the exhaust under the hood will evaporate them. That's one thing you see. And then on the right-hand side where all the heater hoses go together, you'll see some tees and stuff and some right. eyes. Those leak quite a bit. Where the heater hoses go into the firewall, there's some quick connects. Those leak quite a bit. And the final thing is, like you mentioned, the radiator may get a leak in one of the tanks, get a crack, and because the radiator is hot, the coolant will ooze out and just evaporate because, again, you got a big old fan drawing air right across it, and it's hot. So it just evaporates before it hits the ground. Now, if you got rear heat with that vehicle, there's also a couple more quick connects underneath the passenger door. That, okay, tend to, yeah. that tend to leak also because yeah, they're kind of made of that same plastic-type material. Those will generally drip on the ground. When generally. So, But okay. if you do a pressure test on it, you can find that pretty easy because now the car is cooled off. What we do, we bring it in, we let it sit, we let it cool off, then we put pressure on it, and then that way we can see where the leak is at. Right now you're fighting a small leak. Yeah. Yeah. So I nothing mean, to worry about. Just keep no, adding the coolant. No, no, no if sir. You do no, that, sir. you'll have tremendous amount of corrosion problems. You need to right. address that immediately because what's going to happen when the coolant leaks out, air gets sucked in, which accelerates corrosion, especially on an old vehicle like that. And if you add water to it, it's ten times worse because water's okay. going to dilute the corrosion protection of the antifreeze, and then you'll really get a bad, bad corrosion problem. I would have that addressed immediately just to prevent a big problem. Okay. Hey, All right. Thank you, Liz. Okay, All man. Right. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye. Alright, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would absolutely love to have you. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Morning. I got a 2004 Suburban. Mm-hmm. And my speedometer is taking out on me. I had one mechanic tell me that those little clusters go out. They do sometimes. And yeah. The speedometer is taking out on me and can't tell how fast I'm going. Yeah, now my is it the odometer or, or is it the speedometer? My speedometer. Okay, and how about the odometer? Does it work or no? Uh, the odometer is working, but the speedometer is not, and the cruise control is in and out. Right. Right. More likely that, I mean, it's possible it could be the instrument cluster, but if the cruise control is also out, I would suspect probably the speed sensor is not getting a signal to the speedometer because both of those use that same signal. And I'm going to have to put you on hold because i got so much background noise I can't hear. Another thing is, and this may or may not happen, but if the ABS light, comes on that would be a dead giveaway because abs also feeds off of that same sensor and it may or may not depending on where the signal is interrupted so you could have the signal is dropping out from the speed sensor doesn't necessarily mean the sensor is bad it could be the connector at the sensor or any of the wiring in between just need to have someone with a tech 2 scan tool they can hook up they can read the signal and see where it drops out now way they can tell you exactly what the problem is and if that didn't fully answer the question, maybe you could just hit me with an email, and I'll be glad to go into it a little bit more in depth. Let's go back to the line with Jason. Good morning, Jason. Hey, good morning, y'all. I have a 98 Jeep Wrangler. It's mm-hmm. got a couple of issues that I wanted to talk about. I only use the vehicle on the weekends, pretty mm-hmm. much. So I, I wanted to see about how serious these things were and if they really needed to be addressed okay. at any time soon. One is the oil pressure gauge. The needle is pegged all the way to the right, and okay. it's like that. 
it's like that even when I started cold. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So obviously, um, I'm thinking maybe just the sensor. There's probably kind of the all pressure sensor. That's a piece of cake to change, Jason, and a fairly inexpensive part. So I, I mean, I'd probably fix it. If it's reading bad, a lot of times what will happen is they'll start leaking. And it can leak quite a bit of oil out and cause other problems. And since it's such an inexpensive fix, I want to say the sensor is maybe $20, $25 at most. takes 30 minutes at most, maybe less to change it. Okay, all right. And I haven't seen any signs of oil leaking, so that's good. It may not be leaking yet. Yeah, the other thing is when I hit a certain speed, it's usually right around 60. And it's, it's odd because it's only on certain parts of the interstate. The whole Jeep will just start shaking like yeah, crazy. Yeah, violently. Yeah, that's called death wobble. And do you have some kind of aftermarket wheels on it? Or, no. Uh, or a suspension lift? Well, suspension not lift? That I, I didn't add. It, I, yeah. it doesn't have a, no, it's got the regular size lift from the yeah. manufacturer. Most times on that, that's called death wobble. That is an extremely common issue with Jeep. And what is actually causing the wobble is a steering box. But what generally causes the steering box to do that is because there's something that's been modified in the suspension. Not always, but most of the time. And it's put it into a bind, and it damages the little valve inside the steering gear that puts the power from right to left. And that valve starts to fluctuate, and it's almost like you just grab the steering wheel and start rocking it back and forth. Go on my website and type in the word death wobble in the search bar, and it'll bring up an article with pictures and everything else, and it'll tell you a whole lot more about that. D-E-P-T-H, is that death, what you're saying? Death, just like you died. Wobble. Yeah, you okay. died. Death wobble. Like Death Valley, that's Death Wild. Oh, Death. Okay. <laughs> oh, Death. I got yeah. you. I didn't hear you. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for y'all's help. All right, all right sir. Thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye. All right. We got to take a quick little break. And you hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we received from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvin, with co-host Mr. Brian Terry right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call, 291-6901. And Dan's been patiently holding. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir, you bet. I have a 1993 Ford 250 uh-huh. with a 7.3-liter diesel engine in it. Okay. And it has 140,000 miles on it, and it has run relatively well mm-hmm. and been well-maintained. Until recently, when it started losing power when under load, for instance, while attempting to climb the bridge, the Mississippi River Bridge, or something like that. Other than that, it runs fine. But when you when you accelerate to uh, under load, it starts mm-hmm. losing power significantly. 
Hmm. I know they had some trouble on those old seven threes with the injector seals leaking on them, and they actually had that fixed later on. When they went to the Power Stroke rendition of that engine, they got that problem solved. But that almost sounds to me like it's losing. See, the way that one works is that oil pressure goes inside the injector, and it compresses the piston, which squeezes the fuel, which makes it fire, rather than using a high-pressure pump. And if those seals leak, you won't compress that fuel enough, and it's like a gasoline engine losing fuel pressure. You can lose power under load. Now, a diesel guy should be able to check that for you fairly easily and tell you for certain, but that would be the first thing that would occur to me. Let me ask you, is it using some oil? Is it using up a lot of oil by any chance? No, sir. It's not? No, Because sometimes, depending on how they leak, if both seals leak, it can actually squirt oil into the combustion chamber. And, of course, it'll burn oil just like it'll burn diesel fuel. So they start using a whole bunch of oil, but not always. If it's just losing pressure on the injectors, then it's just going to have inadequate fuel pressure to make enough power. Now, that's not necessarily what the problem is, but that's the first thing I would check. One other possibility is you could have, like, a restricted exhaust like a muffler or something that's starting to plug up, that will do the same exact thing because under load you're exhausting a whole lot more, and if it starts to plug up and you start building back pressure, it's going to do the same thing. That's, again, relatively easy to fix. They can do what they call a back pressure test, and there's a little adapter that just screws into the exhaust, and you can measure the amount of pressure on it and see. Or, conversely, if you don't have anything like that, just disconnect the muffler temporarily. Just leave it open exhaust and go drive it. And If you've got plenty of power, then... You could have a plugged-up muffler. We'll do the same thing. Okay, great. All right. Thanks for the information. Okay, Dan. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, still got a few minutes. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Yeah, you know, we had a Ford truck with the catalytic converters were plugged up in mm-hmm. the other day at the shop. Reminded me of that. Yeah, gasoline. And, of course, right. the, the old Ford diesels didn't have a catalytic converter Correct. on them, but the muffler can also plug up. Sure. Particularly on a diesel because Diesel exhaust tends to be oilier and have more stuff in it than right. a gasoline exhaust does. And something can go bad inside the muffler. Another thing, like I said, is diesels blow a lot of pressure out, and they can blow a baffle loose or something. And then plug it. Restrict that exhaust. Right. We see that quite a bit on gasoline engines where converters and stuff will actually cause that kind of an issue. So just something to check before right. you go change a lot of expensive hardware out. Going to our phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Yes, good morning, Louis. Look, I have a 2000 Ford F-150. I have a, I have 487,000 miles on wow, that. Wow, great. Okay. And a motor, rigid transmission. Mm-hmm. But look, the problem I have about two weeks ago, I went to work, got ready to leave, and cranked up like normal. But when I was driving, I just, I can stand on the accelerator, and I cannot get over 30 miles an hour. Hmm. And that's a 2000 model? Yeah, the 2000. It's just all of a sudden. What's yeah. that morning? The first thing that I would check, Mike, on that one is to check the fuel pressure and make sure you got adequate fuel pressure. Uh-huh. Because the way those engines run, if let's say the specification is 57 PSI on the fuel pump, and let's say it drops down to 50 because the fuel pump is going out, well, it'll still run and it'll idle, but it's not going to make any power. Because when you get down on it and it requires more fuel, it starts to lean out. And when it starts to lean out, you just have no power. You know, it, It'll still run, but it's going to lose a lot, a lot of power. So the first thing to check would be the fuel pressure because that's a simple, simple, easy test. It takes 15, 20 minutes. Now, if the fuel pressure is still adequate when it's occurring, the second thing to check is exhaust back pressure. 
because let's say you got a catalytic converter that's plugging up or something like that. And what could have happened, a converter is sort of a honeycomb made out of ceramic. It could have just broke when you're going down the road, and then it turned sideways, blocked the exhaust stream off, and that's why it happened all of a sudden. It doesn't mean it plugged up. It could have just physically broken with something with that many miles on it. And, again, if the exhaust restricts, then you're going to start to really lose a whole lot of power. Now, beyond that, on an engine with that many miles, it is also possible it could have jumped timing. Timing chain could be stretched. It may have jumped one tooth, which is going to throw the cam timing off, which is, again, it's going to still run, but it's not going to have a lot of power. So those would be the three most common things. And, again, the first two are going to be very easy to test for. You can do a fuel pressure test or have it done. Probably won't cost you $30, to have that done. You might just try disconnecting the exhaust temporarily at the beginning of the catalytic converter. Just run it with open exhaust temporarily and see if it's got a lot of power. If so, then you're more likely into that because you don't have an exhaust back pressure gauge like a shop would. And if it's jump time, and that's going to take a little bit more technology and knowledge to find that. Right. All right. Right. Okay. Well, I do appreciate it. Okay, man. All right, Mike. Thanks, man. Uh Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. I always love hearing folks who get that kind of mileage out of vehicles. I'm telling you. And those cars from the mid-'90s to the early-2000s, they got that was, way pretty regularly. I yeah. doubt very seriously the newer stuff's going to ever. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't I'm think, wondering about it. I don't it, think you we'll know? be sitting here in 15 years. People say, well, I got a 2015 with 450,000 miles on it. Right. Not unless they spent about $10 million changing every component on it. You know? Are they dragging it around behind something newer? Yeah, pulling it over with something older. There you go. <laughs> got a 98 Suburban pulling it down the road. There you, you know? go. But, yeah, those vehicles, I think the automakers kind of back in the 80s, uh, they really start having some serious, serious issues. And they realize, hey, we got to make them better or right. nobody's going to buy them. And so they started making them better, 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 better. And all the way up to the mid-2000s, they got better, better, better. And then they said, you know, people are keeping these way too long. <laughs> <laughs> we're not selling near enough of these. Yeah, we're not selling near enough replacements here. Right. So uh, we can fix that little problem. So, so they started kind of leaning them out a little bit. There you go. So they cutting way, way back on them. So anyway, I think we're just about out of time. We'll start wrapping it on up and get ready to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and Use your favorite rebroadcast service. If it has a written rating portion, please go on there and give us a written rating. If you give us a written review, that will move us up in the rankings. And the way those guys work is the, the shows that get the most written reviews tend to, to get the top. top. So if someone types in, like, auto repair, and one show has five written reviews and one show does not, then that show is going to show up first, which obviously more people are going to listen to that show, right. which makes it more popular. Which keeps it at the top. Keeps it at the top which gets us to be able to keep on doing this show. There you go. Because <laughs> they're going to throw us off this station if our ratings fall too much. <laughs> they're trying to make a living just like everybody else yeah, exactly. is. Exactly. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.